Okay, so our passage this morning is coming from 1 John 1 and verses 5 through 7. So it's going to be about walking in the light. <clears throat> so, let's see. Janet, can you read for us? Um, yes, sure. Um, it doesn't appear yet. It's just 1 John 1, 5, 7, walking in the light. So... Can you see it yet? Not yet. No. Not yet. So, oh yeah, okay. I see it now. The lights. Is that so? Okay. Uh, first John 1 5, 7. Um, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Thank you. So if you remember last time, we saw the purpose statement for the whole book was that we learn to walk in fellowship. And that would bring joy to the apostles and to us as we are in fellowship with each other and with God. Now, this set of three verses introduces us to a subsection. There are two subsections in 1 John. The first one is going to be about walking in light. The next one is going to be about walking as children of God. So this is going to be for two chapters until uh, 1 John 2.29 uh, will be walking in light. So this is opening up a major theme or a major topic in the book of 1 John is walking in light. So 1 John 1.5, as Janet read for us, says, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. <clears throat> we call this an axiomatic truth. That means this is a truth um, on which the whole message is going to hinge. Uh, we have to understand what it means that God is light. Um, and that this is the message which the apostles heard and which they have preached to us since the beginning. Uh, and that in God, there's no darkness at all. Um, and we can see this all the way back in Genesis 1, uh, verse 3, where God separates the light from the darkness, uh, where he creates the light and then separates it from the darkness. Um, so from the very beginning, we see that light by its very existence, is distinct from darkness. They can't exist in the same location. Um, light is also a fundamental characteristic of God. There are many different ways that God is described in the scripture. He is called good. He's called father. He's called light. Uh, he's called love. But this is a fundamental characteristic. Uh, that he's not just called light, but he's characterized by light. That means his very being is defined by this light. In Psalm 27, verse 1, uh, David recognizes uh, God as the light of his salvation. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So with the Lord's light, David has strength and confidence in his salvation. Um, so while he is living in the light of the Lord, he has full assurance of his salvation. If he is outside of the light, he doesn't lose his salvation, but he might be unconfident of it. Um, but uh, when he's living in the light, he lives in the full reality of his uh, position as saved. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we read a larger verse. This is uh, smaller than what we read last time. 
but uh, after he speaks of Jesus as the word that was with God, he speaks about him as life. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So the darkness could not understand the light when Jesus came into the world, and that is why they rejected him. So this brings us also uh, in connection with a major theme of the Gospel of John, which was the light of Jesus Christ. Uh, so in John 3, John continues this theme of light, and he says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So we see that in John's description, using these terms of dark and light, uh, that darkness is used for um, sin, whereas light is living in uh, the truth of uh, God's word. We also see that God's light exposes. So when God's light is shined on our lives, we can see the sinfulness in our lives. So not only can darkness not exist in the light, but when the light shines on something that is dark, it becomes light so that we can see um, our sinful natures. And we have to be responsive to that. When God is shining his light on us and showing us a sinful area in our lives, we have to be responsive to that. Um, otherwise, the light will dim and we won't see as clearly what God is showing us that we need to be working on spiritually. So Tom Constable, uh, speaking about this uh, fact that God is light in this book of 1 John, says, whatever other qualities this metaphorical designation may include, it clearly involves the intellectual and the moral. So our minds and our spirits are involved in this truth. Uh, it's going to bring enlightenment and holiness. Okay, we have a question here. Janet says, when it says God is the light, the context telling us about the sun, when we say God, uh, what it really means, just wanted to have clarification about this. Sorry for the question, if that makes sense. No, it's a good question. Uh, so when it says that God is light, uh, we're speaking uh, with the context already from or from verses one through four, that aligns Jesus Christ as that with that message of God, so that um, John's focus here is showing us that God Himself is the originator of the message. God Himself is the originator of this light, and that Jesus Christ uh, was faithful as a servant to God, uh, as well as being God Himself. So John is focused here on showing uh, the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in our lives, but with the power source coming from God. So the fact that he is designating God as light is showing that Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as uh, together with God are also in that light. Because we're having fellowship, remember, with God and with the Son that was with him from the beginning. So that was um, that was John, 1 John 1, 3, was that the fellowship was with God and with Jesus. So hopefully that answers your question. Uh, okay, good. Uh, John uses a lot of shorthand, uh, which means like his, his books are not very long, right? He doesn't repeat words. If he's connected two ideas in his writing already, he's not going to connect them every time. So we have to keep in our minds that in verse 1-3, uh, 
Uh, he already connected that God the Father and Jesus the Son were together from the beginning. Uh, so when we continue and we see him speaking about God, we understand that he's talking about the whole person of God, three persons. Okay, uh, so he says, just as light reveals and purifies, so by his very nature, God illuminates and purifies those who come to him. His nature determines the conditions for fellowship with him. So that's another uh, big idea in the book of First John is the conditions for fellowship. So remember, we're not talking about salvation. He is writing to people who are already saved. Once we're saved, we can't lose that salvation. But he's writing to them the conditions for maintaining good relationship with God and with Jesus Christ, because while we are in a good relationship with him, we, we grow spiritually. But while we're out of relationship with God, there's no spiritual growth, but there's spiritual decay. So we want to be growing spiritually by resting in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. And in that message, which he came to preach, which is himself and himself crucified and risen for our sins. Uh, we see that at the very end of scripture as well, light is a major theme. Uh, and this is different from the way that God introduces light in Genesis. Remember, in Genesis, there is darkness over the face of the earth. God creates light, and then he separates the light from the darkness. Here in Revelation 21-23, at the end of world history, when he's created the new heavens and the new earth, uh, he has a very unique light that is shining in the new Jerusalem. He says, and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the lamb. So again, the idea of God and the lamb, the lamb, as John 1, 29 tells us, Jesus Christ is the lamb who came uh, to take away the sins of the world. And God as well here is the light, which is illuminating the world. Uh, in the new Jerusalem. So God's very characteristic is not only the spiritual light that illuminates the heart, but his glory is also manifested in physical light. Uh, so when we see him uh, face to face in the new Jerusalem, uh, we will see him as light. And this is also true when we see uh, God on his throne in various throne visions, like in Isaiah 6, or in Revelation 4 and 5, that there is light emanating from the throne. Uh, so that light, remember, is a fundamental characteristic of who God is. He is going to illuminate, to show us, and to purify with that light. All right, so in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this introduces us to a false claim. There's going to be a few false claims that John introduces to us. It's possible that these false claims uh, were from false teachers um, in uh, around the church, probably the church of Ephesus, where John was teaching. But I think it's more probable these false claims came from inside the church, that John is writing to believers to uh, correct some uh, false claims, some false statements that are being taught in the church. So he's saying, if we say that we have fellowship with him, so these Christian brothers and sisters are saying, Yes, I'm in fellowship with God. I'm in fellowship with Jesus. Uh, but if we're walking in the darkness, then that's not true. Uh, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Now, it's important here that we're walking in uh, the light and not according to the light. Uh, because it is possible to uh, be saved, remember, but not to be practicing in our lives 
in the full reality that we are saved. Uh, so he is walking in darkness, walking against his own nature of light, being the child of God. Uh, so in a Christian is not uh, living his Christian life in the full reality of his salvation um, in God. That's when he's walking in darkness. Um, either he's believing or teaching some false claim about Jesus Christ or God, because remember, our doctrine and what we believe is important for being in fellowship with God. Or uh, he's living in a characteristic of sin. This doesn't affect his salvation, but it does, um, does affect his ability to draw close to God and to abide in the vine. Uh, so Zane Hodges uh, says about this, this verse, Christians sometime feign, that means pretend, uh, spirituality while engaging in acts of disobedience. Spurious or false claims to fellowship with God have been a tragic reality throughout the history of the church. Uh, so we can see this very dramatically in the Gospels with the Pharisees, that they are claiming to be uh, following God's teaching, but in their, uh, in reality, they're not. Um, so it we can think of um, the Pharisee and the tax collector who go into the temple to pray. And the Pharisee says, dear God, thank you that I'm not like the tax collector. And the tax collector says, um, essentially, uh, dear Lord, woe is me. I am a sinner in need of grace. Uh, that's not what he says, but that's the heart behind what he's saying. Uh, whereas the Pharisee is saying, uh, thank you that I'm so much better than the other Christians. Um, so it's not a true heart of repentance. It's not a true heart of growing close to God. He doesn't recognize the reality of his sinfulness. So that means that he is not being illuminated by God's light. Um, he is not recognizing those sins which God is trying to teach him uh, that he's walking in. Now, we, as part of the church, have a helper who is the Holy Spirit that is God's light in us, helping to illuminate those problems in our spiritual walk. Uh, when we're not in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit uh, will tug at our hearts, trying to bring us back into fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Uh, that's the Holy Spirit's desire in us, uh, that we live uh, in the light of God's truth. Paul also talks about this light. Oh, we've got a question. Another word for illuminate could be to reveal, um, to shine, to show us um, using light. When we illuminate a room, we turn on the light. Yeah, the luminaries, L-U-M, uh, Luminaries in the sky is the sun, the moon, the stars. Those are luminaries. Uh, Lum means to give light. Mm -hmm. All right, so Ephesians 5, 6 through 10, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now notice um, in verse 8, Paul says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Notice that there's no preposition between the be verb, were, and are, and the adjective, darkness and light. This means that it's a fundamental characteristic of who we were, that we were darkness. Now it is a fundamental characteristic of who we are, light, but not just any light, light in the Lord. So this isn't a, um, this isn't a, uh, 
This isn't somewhere we are existing. It's not a realm in which we are existing, but it's a characteristic of who we are once we have become saved, that now we are light in the Lord. But even though we are light in the Lord, we have to walk as children of light or to walk in the light. It's possible to be light without walking in the light. Uh, I think it's, it's a hard metaphor for us to understand. Uh, but it's a very fundamental truth uh, for us to understand uh, the distinction between being light and walking in the light. Uh, we can't change the fact that we are light now that we are Christians because Jesus Christ is that light. It says you are light in the Lord, um, but we have to make choices on a day-to-day -day basis with the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in that light uh, and not uh, turn away from that light. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. These are characteristics of that walk, how we walk in the light, walking in goodness, walking in righteousness, and walking in truth. Uh, usually, uh, things that bring us out of fellowship are actions. Things that keep us in fellowship are refraint from actions. Even our fellowship, uh, though it might involve works as we rest in God, uh, it doesn't fundamentally require works. Uh, simply abiding is the most powerful way to walk in the light, simply resting in the Lord. Um, usually when we're sinning, it's not something we're doing passively, it's something we're doing actively. However, when we are resting in the Lord, this is something we can do even passively. Um, and it's a passive character and attitude uh, of simply resting in the Lord. And that does still mean meditating on his word, who he is, the message and the truth of our salvation. Uh, but even if we are not um, going out and uh, making a big show of our works and what we are doing, uh, that is good and righteous and true, even those who are abiding in the truth of who Jesus is, allowing him to illuminate their hearts. Um, even this is walking in the light. Uh, the book of James, the letter from James, tells us that faith without works is dead. Uh, we, we do live a more full and rich life as we, uh, as we demonstrate to mankind around us, the truth of the salvation that's in us, that demonstration uh, comes through doing these works of goodness, righteousness, and truth, but these help us to live a fuller life um, of fellowship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so we can live it in degrees. It's not uh, you're living it or you are not living it. Uh, that is a very black and white but even while we are living in this light, uh, we can live to fuller degrees of this light um, as we are led by the Holy Spirit um, in the Lord. So Paul continues in Ephesians 5. He says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. So these deeds of darkness require participation, not just passiveness, but instead even expose them. So remember, we are the light of the Lord. The Lord exposes darkness with his light. So we, through him, should be practicing light, walking in the light. And in that way, we also expose sin. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. So remember, secret and darkness, this all has to do with the same metaphor. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. So as we abide in Christ, as we um, avoid participation in darkness for the Lord, then we will have the light of the Lord shining in us. Um, and that is going to be the character of our walk when the Lord is shining in us, that we will even expose uh, sins and secret things. 
we won't want to participate or fellowship with darkness because when we are characterized by that walking in darkness, uh, we're not going to be in fellowship with God. We want to remain in fellowship with God. So Tom Constable, again, uh, speaking on verse 6, says, John's reminder here is that the Christian who claims to have fellowship with God, who is light or holiness, but disobeys him, is lying. A practicing sinner cannot have close fellowship with a holy God, though he can have a relationship, so relational um, justification, not sanctification here. He can have a um, he can have a relationship with God. He can be a true Christian. Um, sorry, this relationship with God is his justification, but he can't have a close, intimate fellowship with God, which is his sanctification, while he is walking in sinfulness. Uh, so if there is a sinful pattern in his life, if he is actively doing these, these works of darkness, He's not growing in God. He's uh, spiritually decaying as he's doing this. And he wants to be spiritually growing in the light. All right. We have John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Uh, so this one another that it speaks of, this uh, in this verse is not speaking of one another in the church. This is speaking of with God and the believer. We have fellowship with God when we walk in the light, even as he is in the light. Uh, so here comes a required condition of fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, uh, and the result of that there are two results, but these results are tied together. We have fellowship with one another, with God, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all our sins. So this brings us to, again, our three tenses of salvation. And here there are three trees involved with our three tenses of salvation. The first tree took away our penalty for sin. Uh, our next tree, the vine, as we abide in Jesus Christ, as he is, uh, is see, he is the vine and we are the branches. I think that's how it is. Branches. Yeah. Um, so he would be this vine and we are these branches up here. We are removed from sin's power. Uh, so we want to rest in the Lord, even as the grapes rest on the vine. Uh, and we remove progressively from sin's power. Finally, in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be removed from sin's presence. Um, and there will be the, the tree of life in the garden or in the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth for us again. Remember, it was sin that made God remove Adam and Eve from the garden of Eden so that they could not eat of the tree of life. When sin is removed once again, uh, the tree of life will be a present reality for us. So again, with the cross, um, at the cross, the penalty for our sin was paid. Christ has paid our just penalty for sin. Uh, that penalty was death. And if we believe in him, our penalty is paid and we are justified before God. Uh, resting in the vine, we remove ourselves from sin's power or we are removed from sin's power. It says this world is still fraught with the presence of evil. So the presence of evil is all around us in this world. Remember, uh, this world belongs to Satan at the moment. Uh, Jesus Christ will rescue this world from the clutches of Satan um, during the tribulation and establish a kingdom on earth um, after that time. But until then, uh, sin is very prominent in this earth by nature of this earth belonging to Satan. It says, even our mortal bodies still groan under the curse, and our old self wrestles with the new creation of God. Needless to say, Christians are not sinless. We're far from it at times. 
But if we abide in Christ, we are sanctified or progressively cleansed from our sins. And finally, when we're glorified, Christ came first to pay the price for sin. He's coming again to take us from the presence of sin. When he returns, we will be glorified and we will never wrestle with sin. It will be purged finally when God makes all things new. So right now we are cleansed from the penalty of sin. Uh, we can't um, we can't lose that payment that's been put to our accounts for all of our past, present, and future sins. But uh, we ought to be progressively removed from the power of sin as we abide in Christ. And the hope, remember, of the future when that, um, when that sin will be finally taken away, when we hope for that day, as we long for Christ's return, uh, we are cleansed and purified so that as we hope for his soon return, um, we are resting in the vine. Okay, Tom Constable again about uh, verse 7 says, God cleanses us at conversion, that was our justification, in the sense that he will never bring us into condemnation for our sins. However, we need continual cleansing from the defilement that daily living brings because it hinders our fellowship with God. So he uh, here says to reference John 13, 10. So I have John 13, 8 through 10 here. And it says that Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So this is in the upper room discourse uh, before Jesus Christ was crucified. Uh, and he is teaching his disciples who are close, uh, in close fellowship with him. He's teaching them how to remain in fellowship with him while he is away from this earth. So when they first arrive in the upper room, Jesus uh, says that he is going to wash their feet. Um, he begins to wash their feet and Peter tells him, no, you can't wash my feet. But Jesus tells him that I have to wash your feet. Otherwise, you have no part with me. And there he's speaking of fellowship. Uh, Peter is saved at this point, saved from the penalty of sin. But he needs the washing or the cleansing of Jesus Christ continually. That um, Back in these days, the men wore sandals and their feet would get very dirty when walking from one place to another. His feet needed to be cleansed so that he could walk uh, in a clean manner in fellowship with the Lord. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, and wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So he says, uh, if being washed by you brings me into closer fellowship with you, then wash everything. But Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So he says, you've already bathed. Remember, we're um, born again. We are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, but we still have to, at times, wash our feet. This isn't a new salvation. This is our fellowship, our cleansing um, as we abide in Jesus Christ. He washes our feet um, so we can be completely clean. Here it says, but not all of you. This is speaking about Judas. Um, Judas was also among the 12 at the time. Judas had not been bathed. He did not trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so he was not cleansed from his sins initially. Thus, even if Jesus Christ washed his feet, um, he had not been bathed, so he was still not clean. Janet says, is washing the feet today is literal to do in our times today because others do that this time? Or is that a metaphor for fellowship? Uh, yeah, I, I think here it's speaking of a metaphor. Uh, Jesus Christ is using a word picture here, um, but he is also able to... Uh, to teach them using what is 
almost like a parable. It's not a parable here, um, but in that it's not a story. It's just a word picture where he's using a true to life um, scenario in order to teach them a spiritual truth. Uh, so in their culture, they would understand that uh, your body is clean, even though your feet get dirty as you walk on the earth to your next location. Um, and that at times when you arrive, your feet need to be washed. You don't need to take a new bath once you arrive at your location, but you'll need to wash off your feet. Uh, so they all understand that they've arrived at this location with clean bodies. They've bathed, but uh, their feet are dirty just from the mere nature of walking on the streets. Um, so here, um, again, not speaking of um, bathing as in being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but in smaller cleansings. So our, our big bath already took place uh, when we trusted in Christ, when we believed in him, uh, but we need to be wiped off from time to time as the sin of the earth clings to us. Good. Okay. Oh, this should say First oh, John 1, 7. Uh, Zane Hodges also has this to say. The apostles so shared the heart of Christ for his people that they're... Oh, wait. Oh. This is what I want. That was a mistake slide. First um, John 1, 7, Tom Constable says... Two things are equally true of believers who walk in the light according to this verse. So there's two true things when a Christian walks in light. We enjoy fellowship with God, and we are experiencing cleansing from every sin. So this isn't the initial washing, but the experience of being washed uh, by Christ. That we, as we are washed by Jesus Christ, similar to the metaphor of abiding in the vine. So being washed by Jesus Christ, we experience the truth of that removal of sin so that even the presence of sin um, grows progressively less. Uh, a Christian who is in fellowship with God and abiding in, in Jesus Christ will experience uh, declining sin in their life. Uh, a Christian who is not in fellowship with God, who is still saved, uh, but not in fellowship, is, uh, is not going to be this victorious over sin, where sin might go up and down in their life, or it might even have a steady trajectory upward. Uh, this doesn't affect their salvation. Uh, it affects their rewards, and it affects their life on this earth. Um, Paul in... Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, encounters some very egregious sins in the body of the church at Corinth, um, even a case of incest where um, a son is um, having sexual relations with his father's wife, uh, probably a stepwife or like a, a second wife, I think. Um, but still, he's having these sexual relations and it's not being taken care of in the church. So Paul rebukes the church and says, these kind of sins, you have to take care of this. Um, you can't allow this to continue. He speaks of carnal Christians, Christians who are characterized by carnality. They're living lives of sinfulness. They're not in fellowship with God. Now he's speaking to them as saved Christians, uh, but he's saying, you're not living in that light. You're not walking in the light, uh, which you are. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul tries to encourage them with the promise of rewards that as they abide in Christ, as they are working towards that eternal reward, they're storing up treasures in heaven. And on the day of judgment, all works that are hay, wheat, or stubble will be burned away, but all works that are gold, silver, or precious metals, uh, those will stay on our account. Uh, but he says some will experience loss, uh, though they will be saved, though as by fire. So everything about their lives will be burned away, but they will still be saved. Um, even these Christians who are not in fellowship with God, but Christ's blood has paid the penalty of their sin debt. They'll have no rewards in heaven, nothing uh, good to show about their life on earth. 
um, no faith that works. Um, but even if our faith isn't working, God's salvation continues to work for us. All right, so John 15, this is the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15, again, during the Upper Room Discourse. This is where Jesus teaches his disciples how to remain in fellowship with him. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. You are already clean uh, because of the word which I have spoken to you. So he says they are in the vine. If, if the vine is clipped off, it doesn't cease to be a vine. Um, it is still um, part of God, part of that creation. But at times there is punishment uh, for uh, lack, of, uh, lack of fellowship if that is leading to a life of sinfulness, uh, you're continuing to walk in darkness, uh, the Lord might punish even to death. This happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, that was used in that early period of the church uh, to teach a very extreme lesson um, to the church members that uh, fellowship with God, failure to uh, failure to be in fellowship with God might even lead to punishment, uh, punishment of death, and that uh, being removed from this earth, he, they're still going to be in the presence of God, but it's better for them to go now than to continue in a life of sinfulness uh, and, uh, and bear a bad witness to Jesus Christ and also um, live a life that is not uh, characterized by light. Uh, this also happened in Corinth. Paul, speaking to some of them, says uh, that some of them have already fallen asleep uh, in these sins. Fallen asleep is, uh, is a euphemism for death, that uh, though these Christians do not die spiritually, they will die physically uh, in order for the Lord to bring them out of these sins of the world. We can, uh, we can look back at how God uh, protected Adam and Eve after sin entered their lives, when he removed them from the Garden of Eden so that they would not eat from the Tree of Life. Um, he is protecting them from a life characterized by sin, uh, that they in their sinfulness were not able to live, uh, to, to eat of that uh, tree of life, uh, which they would have eternal life, in order to protect them, uh, as well as to punish them. He, uh, he punished them with death, uh, so that even the punishments of God are merciful for us. And when we look at it from uh, an anthropological view, when we look at it from a worldly perspective, from a human or a heathen perspective, Death seems like the worst possible punishment, but when we realize that our new character in Jesus Christ means that um, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, then if our lives are so fraught with sin and destruction, even though Jesus Christ has paid our penalty, it's much better for us to be with him than to be on this earth where we continue to struggle. Uh, so, God will punish um, sinfulness in the life of a believer, but uh, not eternally. So what does it mean when God said he takes away or takes away means? If we are already justified, why God takes away those people? So remember, this verse is speaking of fellowship. He's taking them um, away from the vine, that vine of fellowship, um, it's uh, tempting to look at this as speaking of um, salvation, but uh, we don't want to interpret this that way because there are other places in scripture which clearly teach that when someone is saved, they cannot lose that salvation. So we have to interpret these more difficult passages 
in light of clear revelation. Uh, so in that way, we have to understand, and we can see some hints in the text. For example, uh, 11 of the disciples were present uh, for this, uh, this word from Jesus Christ. Judas had already left the upper room. Judas was the only one of the 12 disciples who was not saved. Uh, so he is speaking to 11 saved disciples here. He's not teaching them that they might lose their salvation, but he's teaching them that they might be removed from their fellowship on this earth uh, if they are uh, not bearing fruit. And now it's important, this, this word bearing fruit, not producing fruit, uh, it's not our job to produce the fruit. It's our job to bear the fruit with which Jesus produces through us. As we rest in him and as we abide in him, he provides the opportunity for that fruit bearing. Uh, we don't necessarily have to go out and look for a bunch of humanitarian um, problems to get involved in. He's going to put that on our hearts. He's going to put that on our minds and put it in front of us um, as an opportunity for us to walk in that light. Um, and that's what it means to abide in the vine. It's to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is urging us to do. Uh, that Holy Spirit is the voice of God speaking to our hearts. Uh, here in verses four through five, uh, continuing, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So if the vine is taken away from the branch, it's not going to grow any fruit. But Jesus Christ, being the branch, grows through fruit through that vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we rest in Jesus Christ, that is when we are fruitful. So again, uh, using the teaching that Paul gave to us in 1 Corinthians about uh, treasures in heaven, that if we are not in fellowship with God, even though we are saved, uh, even though we might do good things, if we are not doing those good things through his power, if we are not doing them while resting in him in fellowship, even those good things that a Christian does are not um, stored up as treasures in heaven. So we might be Christians, but we might be living a life of sinfulness. And uh, maybe we go and volunteer at a food shelter. Uh, this is not going to be stored up as treasures in heaven because we're probably doing this because of the guilt in our hearts. We're trying to cover our own sins. But when we rest in the full light that Jesus Christ has covered our sins, and out of thankfulness, out of love, out of loyalty, out of uh, the light that Jesus Christ is shining in our hearts, if we go and do those good things, then those good things are added to our account in heaven. Uh, so even the works that we do, they're not done through our power, but they're done through abiding in Jesus Christ. All right, here's my Zane Hodges quote. Uh, he says, John's point, what John wants to tell us, is that if Christians live in the light where God is, then there is mutual fellowship between God and them. That is, they have fellowship with him, and he has fellowship with them. The light itself is a fundamental reality which they share. Thus, true communion with God is living in the sphere where one's experience is illuminated by the truth of what God is. So true communion is to live inside of what Jesus Christ is teaching us or what God is teaching us. When we are allowing him to expose our sinfulness to ourselves and we respond to that, then we are living in communion with him. It is to live open to his revelations of himself in Jesus Christ. As John soon stated in verse 9, he's going to talk about this. This entails the believers acknowledging whatever the light reveals is wrong in their lives. Uh, so in 
in verse 9, it'll say that he was faithful to confess. Uh, we'll look at that next time. That when God is using his light to show us the sin in our lives, we have to be faithful and respond to that message from God. All right, so in closing here, uh, what is walking in the light? Two things, again, are true of the believers who walk in light. They are in fellowship with God, and they are being cleansed from every sin. So long as there is true openness to the light of divine truth, Christians' failures are under the cleansing power of the shed blood of Christ. Indeed, only in virtue of the Savior's work on the cross can there be any fellowship between imperfect creatures and the infinitely perfect God. We have to rest on that fundamental truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, um, who takes away the sins of the world. That is our only foundation for fellowship as well. All right, so what are some things that we learn from 1 John 1, 5 through 7? We learn that God is light, and Jesus is God's purifying light, that we are living in that sphere of light together with them in our fellowship. He reveals and exposes sins to our hearts. He cleanses us from our sins when we rest in him. And he empowers us to live a life of sanctified rest, walking with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of fellowship that we are able to share together. We thank you uh, once again for your word, for your son. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit, uh, which convicts us of the sin in our lives and um, illuminates us with the truth of who you are and what it means to be in fellowship with you. We pray that you continue to give us the strength uh, to abide in the vine, to walk in the light, uh, that on the sure foundation of our salvation, we might produce um, good works um, as the Son works them through us. So we ask these things, Lord, in your precious and glorious name. Amen.